Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Well, we're in Philippians this morning, uh, picking up this series we began last week, chapter 2, where Paul talks about humility, humble joy. You know, nobody gets famous because of humility. In fact, humility really isn't valued in our culture. I doubt that most job interviews press into humility when they're going on. Publishers don't pursue biographies of people who are simply humble. Entertainers are not known for their humility, even though they might be humble people. It's almost as if humility, well, that's boring. For some reason, the thing that grabs your eye is of more value. And humility has the opposite purpose, less attention. It it does not get the eyeballs. I think Rick Warren probably said it well in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, when he wrote, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. I think that's a good starting point for our thinking. You might recall James, uh, we studied earlier during the summer, wrote in chapter 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I am mine. We just sang that. Humility says, I am his. I belong to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus is your identity, then your perspective changes. The proud person says, I know exactly how life should go, and I deserve to get that life. The the humble person says, I don't know that I deserve life at all. And I'm thankful for any grace in this life that God has given me. The proud person will soon be disappointed. But the humble person finds joy. A humble joy. The proud person has a lot to lose. The humble person really has nothing to lose. So how do we find joy in humility? Paul gives us that answer in the second chapter of his letter to the Philippians and points out Jesus as our example. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Hope you'll join, follow along with me. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. And in your relationships with one another, have the same attitude, same mindset that Jesus Christ had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be be exploited, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He emptied himself 
by taking the very nature, the very form of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge, proclaim, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So joy is complete, Paul says, verse 2, when we humbly put others first, verse 3. You see, Paul makes a shift from chapter 2, uh, in chapter 2, from chapter 1, moving away from the theme of the gospel advancing to the theme of Christian humility. They go together. Because arrogance is not a good vehicle for the gospel. Humility is what exalts Jesus Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Our goal is not, excuse me, is not to be self-serving. Verse 5 is a transitional sentence that moves away from talking about believers and how we are to act to the example, the perfect example of Jesus. And we find it in this beautiful hymn. We may not know it's a hymn because there aren't notes there, but that's exactly what it is. Verses 6 through 11. It holds up Christ as our example. We are to adopt the attitude, the mindset of Jesus. I want to give you some questions to consider concerning your own humility. To try to answer, how do you know if you're humble or not? You know, the old answer is, if you think you are, then you're not. Yeah, uh, but but let, let me try to give you something a little more helpful. I, th I think these questions can be very revealing. Think through them with me. Do you believe God owes you something? If you do, then you may not be as humble as you think. Have you ever been critical of somebody else's success? Somebody accomplished something in their life and you're critical of that. Is that humble? No, it's not. Have you ever had trouble admitting you were wrong? <laughs> if you're married, ask your spouse. They'll help you with that. Are you regularly at the center of conflict? I think these are important questions as we think about our own humility and when we might be prideful. Paul goes on writing in verses 6 through 8 about the humility or the humiliation of Christ Jesus and then the exaltation of Christ Jesus. We see the example that, that Jesus is in verses 6 through 8, by what Jesus is willing to do to rescue us. We, we, we've thought about this all weekend as we've relived the 20-year-ago episode, and one of the most amazing things are what people were willing to do to try to rescue the people there and, and, and the tragedies. And, and this is what Paul calls on us to do. Think about what Jesus is willing to do to rescue us. And yet, he ends it, verse 9 through 11, in the exaltation of the one who was crucified. 
In verse 7 it says he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied, he emptied himself. So what did Jesus empty himself of? He emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, servant by being made in, by taking on human likeness. That's what he literally says. He emptied himself by taking on the limitations of humanity in his divinity. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus uh, got thirsty. He had to learn to grow and, 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 and learn. He experienced horrific physical, emotional, and spiritual pain. He emptied himself by taking on the form of humanity. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. Why? Because he wants to bring you good news. In fact, he is good news. It is only Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, that we are offered the grace of God. Through his sacrifice on the cross, shedding of his blood for your sin, that's how we are rescued from our debt to sin. You know, there's financial peace, excuse me, there's financial debt. And when you have financial debt, as we talked about in the, in the opening, you want financial peace. That's what that class hopefully leads you towards. But when we have sin debt, we want to make peace with God. We want to be at peace with God, which is what Jesus brings us by His grace when God raised him to life three days later in that resurrection of Jesus, we realize the promise of eternal life with God. The way we receive that redemption, this gift of life, is by repenting or turning from our sin and accepting God's grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And, 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 and a picture, our baptism is a picture of that. It walks us through that acceptance of God's grace by his, his death, His burial, and His resurrection. That's what we remember. There's what we remember as we partake in the communion together. It is the story that we remember and recall and relive. For it is the place and the way through which God has set us free. So it was Jesus who took these steps downward to rescue us. We look up, and that is what makes us realize, you know what, this isn't about us. Think about it this way. Since we have this blessing of salvation, we must live out the responsibilities of our salvation. You find that in the if and then statements at the beginning of chapter 2. He says, number one, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing, if you have any tenderness and compassion, then do these things. It's a conditional statement. If, then. Since you have these blessings, verse 1, then you also have these responsibilities, verse 2. This is how you live out your salvation that God gives you. We can't earn our way to God, but once He gives us His grace, this is the way we live out that salvation. He puts it this way, be unified, verse 2, by thinking the same thing, having the same love, united in spirit, and intent, and purpose. Be considerate, verse 3, in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Be concerned, verse 4. You should not look to your own interest, but rather to the interest of others. 
These are the ways that we live out our salvation. Ways we remain humble and know that we have a humble joy. Let me give you three key phrases of humble concern for others. We need to relate to somebody's situation. That is, we need to hear them. We need to listen. We need to hear them out. Uh, we need to connect with them. That is, that we really to show we're really concerned about them, so that we can understand where they're coming from. And then, thirdly, we need to engage in a solution. We need to act on the knowledge. So, when we've heard somebody out and we know where they're coming from, we need to engage and act on that knowledge to be part of the solution. That is what Jesus did. That is what this, this story is. He set aside the privileges as God to come and rescue us. And as his followers, we are called upon to set aside our privileges to serve others and bring them good news. So, let me ask you, what do you feel entitled to? What do you feel entitled to? Yeah, all of us do. Uh, it's human nature. This is what we have to push against when we're talking about humble joy that God gives. When we worship together, one of the main purposes of, of, the, of what we do when we gather together like this is to root out entitlement and keep ourselves focused on the one whose name is above every name. In your life, is Jesus' name above your name? Is your knee bowed? Is your tongue confessing who Christ is? When you empty yourself, it means that you can pour into others better. It means that you can serve others better. And there's even better news. When you empty yourself, God is able to fill you with His Holy Spirit. You know... Almost every story contains three main characters. There's the, there's the protagonist, which is the good guy. There's the antagonist, who's the bad guy. And then there's, there's the victim, right? Uh, the victim is the one who's harmed and ultimately who's rescued. This is how most stories uh, play out. And we always feel bad for the victim, don't we? We're supposed to. That's where the story's told. And we cheer, yay, go, for the protagonist. And we cheer against, boo, hiss, the antagonist, right? That's, that's how we respond to these. Playing the victim in your life feels the best because you're let off the hook, because you've received injustice and most often are helpless. But here's the problem with playing the victim in your life. Victims don't grow. Look at every story you know. Victims don't grow. They don't transform the story. Victims don't rescue others. Victims don't get stronger. Victims don't overcome. Now, there are people who have experienced some terrible things through no fault of their own. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've been victimized. Maybe you have been the victim. But even in those cases... As hard as what you experienced is, you can't live as a victim or you will never, ever grow. Because here's the reality of the story. We are, we are the antagonist because we're the ones who sin against God. 
Our sin is an offense against God. Jesus is the protagonist. He's the hero. He's the one who comes, who comes down. He's the one who overcomes our sin and is sacrificed for our sin. And humble joy grows stronger than inconsistent character in obedience. What does that look like? If we're not going to live as victims... If we're going to have humble joy and be consistent in character, Paul speaks to this in the latter part of that, 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 uh, that we read, verse, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and serving coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the consistency of humble joy. We won't see the world changed for Christ unless we approach our work with a consistent humility and a servant's heart. The way of joy runs through sacrifice. And so much of the way that we're supposed to live as a follower of Jesus runs right through sacrifice and talks about being poured out like an offering. I'm being poured out like a drink offering on a sacrifice. In sacrificial service, we're pouring out ourselves. And ultimately, that leads to rejoicing and worship. In verse 18, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. That's worship. You're not saved by doing good. Only Jesus saves. Only Jesus rescues. But Paul says you, you better live out your salvation. Why? Because the world can't see salvation. Think with me. This is what Gary was talking about. The world can't see salvation. You can't show a picture of, oh, let me show you a picture of salvation. But people do see your works. People do see the good you do. People do see the visible fruit of your salvation. Hum humanity cannot do the work of God, but God accomplishes his work through people. God calls us to be consistently humble and joyful in service taking up our cross daily, choosing, Paul said, not to grumble or complain. Because choosing to grumble or complain isn't showing humble joy. It's choosing to stay in the wilderness. Think about the story, so we're talking about stories, that happened in Exodus chapter 13 and 14. If you're not familiar with it, maybe go read it later this afternoon. But, but the story is this. Pharaoh releases the Israelites from slavery after God does these, these mighty uh, uh, plagues in the country of Egypt. And after the Israelites escape, they, they come to the first physical barrier, which is the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army is chasing them afterwards. 
and there's nowhere else to go. What did they do? We were better off as slaves. <laughs> That's what they did, which is a false dilemma. They, they were saying we're either going to die or we're going to go back as slaves. Neither's true. There is another way. But it points out that today Satan's big lie is the same. You're going to die, so you might as well be a slave to yourself and please yourself. Live for yourself. But God gives us another way. What if God can deliver? Think about those Israelites. They had witnessed 10 major plagues sent by God, crushing the power system of the most powerful nation in the world at the time. And here they are at the Red Sea, and why are they not expecting to see God's deliverance? They'd forgotten in that short bit of time. They had forgotten where they had been delivered from. They'd forgotten where they had been delivered to. They'd been delivered from Egyptian slavery and were being delivered to the promised land. But the only way there was through the wilderness. When God delivers you from something and to something, sometimes that means walking the wilderness in between, which in many ways is talking about attitude of mind. That's the pathway. Do you have the attitude of Jesus, the attitude of humble joy? Because if you have the wrong attitude, you get off course. You get misaligned from God, and you're not going how He wants you to go. And complaining, complaining is the opposite of joy. While it may give release of, of negative energy, somebody says, it solves nothing. The Israelites were so close, but chose to grumble and complain, and God sent them back into the wilderness to learn the lesson. Complaining is not expressing dissatisfaction about something wrong, because sometimes you need to do that. Complaining is expressing dissatisfaction without the willingness to help. So you're not wrong to point out something that needs to be fixed, but if you're going to point out it, you need to be part of the solution. Complaining is not standing up for truth, but complaining is using the truth to be a negative person. You can be a cynic and be truthful, and that's not the goal of truth. Complaining is not expressing a concern. There are times to express concern. Complaining is expressing a concern in a way that hurts others. So as Paul revealed this humble joy in chapter 2, as, as Jesus is revealed in the hymn as being humiliated on our behalf, and then God exalts him in the end, Jesus shows us the way. And here's the challenge I leave you with this morning to choose Jesus over your complaints. Choose Jesus over your complaints. Well, Jim, what will Jesus do? He'll take you through the wilderness to the promised land. Pray with me. Father, we confess this morning our fear. 
We fear loss. We fear the loss of control. We fear the loss of opportunity, the loss of our children's future, the loss of our culture. We fear the loss of progress we feel like we've made. We fear the loss of safety. We fear the loss of security. We fear the unknown. We fear death. We were slaves to fear. And it often made us grumble and complain. Today we declare your sovereignty and your lordship and embrace your joy. We recall that you rescued us from sin through sacrifice and you gave us a new heart. Let us remember who we are in you, Christ, and humbly think more of others. Let us empty ourselves, setting aside our privileges to be filled with your spirit. Let us embrace your deliverance until all of our fears are gone. We pray in the name above every name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us.